Hello and welcome to this episode of Understanding Macbeth. My name is Gemma Nemeth and in this podcast we go through some of the key scenes from the play, translating the language, identifying literary techniques and useful quotes and analysing the characters, structure and themes of the play in order to help you prepare for your exams. If you want to access additional episodes and other exclusive content, you can find more information about the full online Macbeth course at www.advanceacademic.co.uk forward slash Macbeth hyphen course. And if you listen until the end of today's episode, you will get a discount code for 20% off. Now let's get started with today's episode. Act two, scene one. Act 2, Scene 1 takes place at Macbeth's castle. Banquo is talking to his son, Fleance. Banquo says to Fleance, there's husbandry in heaven. Their candles are all out. Husbandry means the careful management of resources, conserving them, not using them too much. And candles is referring to the stars. So this line basically means that it seems as though the heavens are holding back all the stars, so as if not to waste them. Essentially, this is a very poetic way of Shakespeare telling the audience that it's meant to be a completely dark and starless night. So this is another example of nature reflecting what is happening in the play. This is the night that the murder takes place and there are no stars. So symbolically, there is only darkness and no light at all, which reflects the dark deed that Macbeth is about to commit. Banquo then says, A heavy summons lies like lead upon me, and yet I would not sleep. Merciful powers restrain in me the cursed thoughts that nature gives way to in repose. The heavy summons is his tiredness, and Shakespeare uses the simile of that tiredness being like lead, meaning that it feels heavy. So Banquo is saying that even though he feels this heavy feeling of exhaustion, he still will not sleep. And he says this is because of the cursed thoughts that come to him when he sleeps. So this suggests that Banquo has been affected by the witch's prophecies and can't stop thinking about them. Macbeth enters and Banquo hears him and asks who's there and Macbeth replies with a friend which is ironic because Macbeth will betray Banquo later on in the play and have him killed. Banquo tells Macbeth that the king has gone to bed but that he also gave Banquo a diamond to give to Lady Macbeth as a thank you for her hospitality. This further kindness and generosity from King Duncan makes the Macbeth's betrayal seem even worse, and there's definite dramatic irony when Banquo refers to Lady Macbeth as most kind hostess, because the audience know that she's not a kind hostess at all. Banquo then confesses to Macbeth that he has had a dream about the witches, and Macbeth says, I think not of them, which is obviously not true. This signals the start of Macbeth's betrayal of Banquo, as Banquo is still confiding in him as a trusted friend, but Macbeth doesn't feel that he is able to be honest. He lies about still thinking about the witches. Macbeth replies that, If you shall cleave to my consent, when tis, it shall make honour for you. Meaning that if Banquo sticks with him, then when the time comes, he will be honoured or he will benefit somehow. Banquo replies, So I lose none in seeking to augment it meaning as long as I don't lose any honour in trying to get more honour. Which highlights again the way that Banquo acts as a dramatic foil for Macbeth, because he's not prepared to do anything dishonourable to further himself, whereas Macbeth is. He says he must keep his allegiance clear, meaning that his allegiance is always to the king, so he is still loyal to Duncan. So whilst he is shown to be a good friend to Macbeth, 
It's also shown that his ultimate loyalty is to King Duncan. Now we have the famous dagger soliloquy, which we will look at a few lines at a time. Macbeth starts by saying, Is this a dagger which I see before me, the handle toward my hand? Come, let me clutch thee. So this gives the audience the essential information that Macbeth is seeing a vision of a dagger, as not all adaptations choose to use an actual dagger. Notice that Macbeth uses imperatives again here, so he's still trying to be in control of the supernatural. He then tries to touch the dagger, but it can't be held. He says, I have thee not, and yet I see thee still. Art thou not, fatal vision, sensible to feeling as to sight? So he's saying that he can't touch the dagger, but he can still see it. We can comment again on the double meaning of the word fatal. You may remember from Act 1 that we said it can mean deadly, but also to do with fate, or fated to happen. Also be aware that sensible here isn't being used in the same way that we generally use it nowadays. It just means able to be sensed. So he's questioning why the dagger is able to be sensed by his eyes, but not by touch. Notice as we go through the soliloquy how many references there are to sight and seeing. Go through and highlight every time you find the words sight and see and eyes. You'll see that there's significant repetition of these words, which all belong to the same semantic field to do with seeing. So what this does is it emphasises the vividness of the vision that Macbeth is having. He really can see the dagger exactly as if it was really there. And of course, this highlights to the audience the discrepancy between the reality and what Macbeth can see. So it's tying in with that key theme of appearance versus reality again, because Macbeth can't trust the reality of what he is seeing. Macbeth then continues his questioning and think about how the cumulative effect of all these questions is really highlighting Macbeth's uncertainty. He wonders next if the dagger is just a hallucination. He asks, or art thou but a dagger of the mind? A false creation proceeding from the heat-oppressed brain. Essentially, am I just imagining this dagger because of all the stress and pressure that I've been under? That phrase, heat-oppressed brain, is very useful for thinking about Macbeth's mental state here. This quote makes us think of having a fever, so it's almost like his ambition is a sickness. And this anguished mental state is a precursor to all the paranoia and other delusions that Macbeth is going to experience later on in the play. Macbeth then says, I see thee yet in form as palpable as this which now I draw. Meaning that the dagger that he's seeing in the vision seems just as tangible, just as physical and touchable as the physical dagger that he has on him, which he is taking out in readiness. He then says, Thou marshalst me the way that I was going. Meaning that the dagger is sort of guiding him towards Duncan's chambers, which is where he was headed. It's interesting here that Thou marshalst suggests that the dagger has some kind of agency, meaning that Macbeth is talking about it like it's got a will of its own. It's like the dagger is leading him on. So perhaps this is Macbeth's subconscious way of assuaging some of his guilt. Perhaps it makes him feel better to put some of the responsibility for the murder onto this vision of a dagger, which is almost making him do it. Maybe that makes him feel less responsible himself. Macbeth doubts what he sees, and says, Mine eyes are made the fools of the other senses, or else worth all the rest. Meaning that either his eyes are deceiving him, and his other senses are telling the truth, that the dagger is not really there, 
or the opposite must be true, and he really can see the dagger, and his other senses are failing him, and that's why he cannot touch it. This is a good quote for appearance versus reality, because Macbeth can't trust his senses. He doesn't know if what he sees is reality or not. You could then go on to talk about what this tells us about Macbeth's mental state, or how this relates to the theme of the supernatural. Macbeth then says that he can see, on thy blade and dudgeon, gouts of blood. So on the blade and the handle of the knife, Macbeth is imagining blood. So throughout the play, blood is a really important symbol or motif that represents guilt. This is interesting to see at this stage of the play because he hasn't even committed the murder yet, but he's already imagining the guilt that he is going to feel afterwards. Now on the next line, we have some caesura, that's C-A-E-S-U-R-A, which means a punctuated break within a line of verse. So you have a line of verse in Shakespeare with a piece of punctuation in the middle that creates a pause. And what we've got is a full stop after which was not so before. This allows the actor portraying Macbeth to stop for a dramatic pause before the turning point of this soliloquy when Macbeth says, there's no such thing. This is a turning point for Macbeth because he is now sort of sternly saying to himself that there's no dagger there really, it's just his imagination playing tricks on him. He says, it is the bloody business which informs thus to mine eyes. So he's saying that he's imagining this awful sight because of the enormity and the horror of what he is about to do. The next section of Macbeth's soliloquy includes many references to the supernatural, and this would have helped to create a sense of drama on stage. Remember that at the time, of course, you couldn't have created this atmosphere on stage with special lighting or smoke machines or projectors. If you were outside watching the play in daytime, it might not have seemed very dramatic. So Shakespeare has had to put all that drama and all that eeriness into his language instead to help build some suspense for the audience. So, for example, he refers to how witchcraft celebrates pale Hecate's offerings, meaning that witches are performing ceremonies and giving offerings to the goddess Hecate, who is the ancient Greek goddess of magic and witchcraft. You'll notice in this section that we have a great deal of language from the semantic field of the supernatural, such as wicked, offerings, wolf, howl and ghost, all of which help to make this section more sinister for the audience and help to build suspense as we get closer to the murder of King Duncan. Shakespeare then also personifies murder, who is alarmed by his sentinel, the wolf. So that means that murder is sort of being called to action by the wolf, who is like his watchman. Then Shakespeare describes murder as moving at a stealthy pace towards his design, so sort of moving sneakily towards his destination. This is significant because next in his soliloquy, Macbeth is about to start talking about his own feet on the ground as he moves closer to his destination. So Shakespeare has formed that link between the personified murder and Macbeth himself. So it's almost like Macbeth is the embodiment of murder. Macbeth then uses apostrophe when he says, Thou sure and firm set earth, hear not my steps which way they walk, for fear thy very stones prate of my whereabout. So he's addressing the earth beneath his feet. He's worried that the sound of his steps will give away his murderous intentions. He's worried that the stones prate. So we've got more personification here, because he's essentially saying that he's concerned that the stones themselves will sort of tell on him, will inform others of his actions. He also says he doesn't want the sounds to break the silence because the silence is so fitting for this moment. 
Macbeth then tries to summon up the courage to stop talking about the murder and to actually do it. He says, whilst I threat, he lives. Words to the heat of deeds, two cold breath gifts. So he's saying, for as long as I stand here talking, Duncan is still alive. And all this talking is reducing my ability to commit the murder. The soliloquy ends with a rhyming couplet. Hear it not, Duncan, for it is a knell that summons thee to heaven or to hell. A knell is the bell that is rung to announce someone's death. So Macbeth is saying that he doesn't want Duncan to hear the bell that has just sounded, because in his mind, it's the bell that signals his imminent death. So this is a very dramatic closing couplet, which prepares the audience to move on to the next scene. Thank you for listening to Understanding Macbeth. I hope this was helpful for you in deepening your understanding of the play and getting you ready for your exams. If you want to access additional episodes and other exclusive content, you can find more information about the full online Macbeth course at www.advanceacademic.co.uk forward slash Macbeth hyphen course. And as a podcast listener, you can get 20% off any of the course packages by quoting the code MacbethPod. That's M-A-C-B-E-T-H-P-O-D. You can also reach out to me there about private tuition, revision support, and my practice paper marking service. Until next time, goodbye and happy studying.